Hey. Hello, one and all. It's 6.58 p.m. on the East Coast. We're not as early as we usually are, but still, it's not 7, so I consider that a victory. And um, I want to welcome you to a Thursday evening show that I think should be pretty interesting. What do we have on the menu for this evening as we embark on the pre-show for Quite Frankly? Well, we have a uh, the situation where the U.S. government has traded an infamous arms dealer for an America-was-never-great basketball player. Um, so we're going to try to fi- figure out how that levels out, which it doesn't. And then another American school, this time in Virginia, because these uh, these are popping up all over the place now, I think four in total at the moment, are proudly advertising their new Satanic Temple after-school programs. So we're going to open up the lines for some thoughts on that from the audience that we have some time in the first half. And then in the second half, we're going to welcome back Stephen Jonathan. He's an American educator um, who was on with us once before when we were talking about uh, fairy tales and I don't know what was it bedtime stories and fairy tales the importance of storytelling in the um, in the world of education early childhood development all of that stuff and we were talking about Brothers Grimm and things like it was it was a great show but I think Stephen hasn't been on with us in almost two years I think it feels that way. It's at least over a year. Well, he's on with us tonight because I want to speak with him not only about get his thoughts about the uh, about uh, Satan Club. As you know, uh, if you remember, Stephen is a uh, a devout Christian and a Catholic, and he has some things to say about this, especially as a as a, a veteran teacher as well. But um, then I want to talk a little bit about something Christmassy, and that is a little tradition known as the Jesse tree. I want to learn about that tonight, because I asked Stephen, as we were catching up, I said, do you have anything that we can do for a, a Christmassy kind of segment after we take care of some current events? He said, oh, yeah, do you know about the Jesse tree? I said, no. He goes, okay, we'll talk about that. I said, great. I don't know anything about it. Don't tell me anything. And let's do that. So we have some good stuff tonight. Um, not all of it uplifting, but as well, uh, but it's it's interesting. And I'm glad that you're here with me on a Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. We're going to have Sam Tripoli on the show tomorrow night. See, I thought that we were going to have this entire week was going to be devoid of guests. All of a sudden, we had three in a row. And next week is going to be great. I even just booked. Let me see here. Sam got we got the BCP on Monday. Shane Cashman on Tuesday. Jay Dyer on Wednesday, Timothy Gordon on Thursday, the 16th, we're just leaving for ourselves. Maybe we'll talk about George Washington's eggnog with Matt again. And then on, uh, and then next week, or the week after that, I should say, Monday the 19th, Rich Barris is coming on. And we're going to be talking about just this, that, and the other thing. It won't be too much of politics and polls. It'll be a little bit more Christmas and family and just hanging out. That'll be great, hanging out with Rich. Then we got Chris Ann Hall, John Paul Rice, the family Christmas night with my family over here on the 23rd. 
And then I think I might take December 26th, that Monday off. I think I might take December or a half day or something. Maybe I'll just pop on to a, a porch stream with a cigar and just uh, ask everybody how their, how their Christmas had gone. But after that, there's really nothing yet. Oh, oh, well, I did. I did book. I've got Toby Wright coming on January 5th. Toby Wright, he is a renowned, a very accomplished, accomplished music producer. And he, I mean, for any of you rock and heavy metal fans out there, you're going to love this conversation. But when he comes on, he's going to be talking about how now in life he is using his music acumen to be able to work with frequencies to to bring about real molecular change inside of people, healing, all that stuff. So we're going to be talking about frequencies and music and, uh, and, and along the way, just be able to, to ask, tell them the, you know, tell some stories from your, your travels, Toby. So that'll be on Thursday, January 5th. Dr. Chloe Carmichael is coming on the show on January 11th. We're going to be talking about anxiety and phobias and immersion therapy and more. If you have any questions about anxiety or something that you want me to ask Dr. Chloe, get in touch with me. On January 12th, Timothy Alberino's coming back. We're going to be talking uh, Empire of the Gods, the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis that he's been working on uh, in the same vein as um, Graham Hancock. So if you know Graham Hancock's work, I'm sure this will be familiar to you, but uh, this is right up Timothy Alberino's alley, and he already has some stuff published on his personal YouTube, so that'll be cool. And then on the following day, Friday the 13th, January, I am bringing back Leo Zagami. We worked out all of our issues. We worked out all of our issues behind the scenes, and he's got a new book coming out, uh, and, and this book, Volume 8, is really interesting, especially since it gets in particular into Sabbatean Frankism and the control, the need for control over Hollywood. Perhaps I can I can bring Ryan uh, Ryan Gable on for some uh, post mortem discussions on that. Also in January, I have not figured it out just yet, but that that's got to be the month that we bring Andrew Bashago back for a Saturday night time travel uh, special and follow up. So. Man, that's that. We're getting closer to the be, to resetting the year, and I don't want it to be going by that fast. But you know what? I'm getting dragged. I'm getting dragged, and I can I gotta find find my footing and ski a little bit more. You know what I mean? Okay, that's all I got for you in in that that sense. Thank you to my sponsors. BlueMonsterPrep.com. Use promo code Frankly for everything you need. Blue Monster Prep and get prepping not only for yourself, but start giving the gift of preparedness to somebody in your life who always wanted to start. And we are going to have a general super chat raffle that starts this following Monday. Uh, this following Monday, coming up um, this next Monday. We're going to start from there until Friday the 23rd. All the Super Chats, we're going to uh, get them together and pick all the names out. Only one name, one entry. Um, and we're going to do a raffle. And part of that raffle for everybody is going to be, I think, a 60 serving. I forget what it is, but it's a sleeve. A sleeve of the non-perishable food coming from... Blue Monster Prep. They're giving a 60-serving emergency food supply ready grab bag. 
and um, and that's going to be part of the raffle. So that that'll be fantastic. And, and I'll find some. Of that. I'll put some coffee in there and stuff like that. So that's going to start next week. So just letting you know. Okay, you ready to go? I am. Let's get going. Moving on into the grab bag area, we have Elon Musk. Now, this is a little bit sobering to have to think about what kind of a situation you might be in, what kind of peril you're heading into. And here we have Elon Musk. The likelihood of something bad happening to Musk is high, according to him. Elon Musk, the freshly anointed owner of Twitter, took to Twitter spaces over the past weekend to discuss, among other things, the Twitter files. This is an inquiry into Twitter's suppression of the alleged contents of the Hunter Biden laptop in the, in the lead-up to the presidential election in 2020. The investigation has been met with mixed reception. Musk has promised several installments to the files, and one dropped on Friday, the first one. However, episode two has been delayed. During his Spaces appearance, the chief twit claimed that the release of the probe may put his life in jeopardy, despite the fact that many outsiders had described it as lacking, considering the media already widely publicized uh, in 2020 that posts related to this very thing were being suppressed. At the end of the day, we just want to have a future where we're not oppressed, where our speech is not suppressed. Frankly, the risk of something bad happening to me or even literally being shot is quite significant. Definitely not going to be doing any open-air car parades, let me just put it that way. Well. Well. I don't know. Oh. The on-air sign is off. Sorry. I just got a text message from Abe, who was obviously relaying some uh, some distress that was coming from the peanut gallery. Sorry about that. The on-air light is now on. Now we're on air. Everything before that was just a practice. All right. Well, good luck to you, Elon Musk. We've all got problems, I guess. Here we go. Uh, Daily Mail. Celine Dion. Now, this is messed up. 54 is diagnosed with incurable neurological disease. Tearful singer reveals she has a rare one in a million stiff person syndrome. If you thought that there was any limit to the things that can go wrong with the human body. Guess again. Stiff person syndrome. That turns sufferers into human statues. That is horrifying. The rare incurable neurological condition, stiff person syndrome, causes the body to go into uncontrollable spasms. There's no cure for the condition, but work can be done to slow the progression. Celine has postponed her European tour dates while she battles the condition. That's just, um... Listen, I know that she's put herself in the middle of some questionable situations, marketing that weird... Uh, gender neutral clothing and and all that stuff but I hear I hear about shit like this and I, I have no I have no um, no choice but to just to say a little prayer that's just horrible um, because listen death comes for us all but suffering is 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 horrible that's just something that d- gets me there are some there are some characters that you think about. You're like, eh, you know, they can use a little suffering. You say in your head, and even that, I'm, I'm trying to beat those thoughts back too. That's just selfish and weird. 
but I hear this and I'm just like, that's just horrible. Um, then, of course, you have uh, Jonathan Greenblatt from the ADL out there pretending like he has a problem. Uh, here he is for 39 seconds stating that, uh, well, well, you'll hear it. Here, this is what he's saying. I guess is on The Breakfast Club. If someone said to me. Hold on a second. He's using his imagination now, so it's probably going to be, it's going to be really bad. If someone said to me, anti-Semitic incidents will have tripled again. Synagogues will be shut down. Jewish day schools will be closed because of the threats. Jews will have left in large numbers. Tucker Carlson will be the nominee for the GOP and uh, will say we need it. We need to get all the globalists out of, uh, there'll be no globalists in my administration. That shouldn't sound so crazy. Yeah. That, that shouldn't have. That shouldn't sound so crazy. That Why do people fucking talk like Use your voice! Guttural. Get guttural. Speak. Project your voice. Hey, when people settle into a microphone, microphone all cozy, that wouldn't sound. The microphone will do the work. You fucking weirdo. You loser as it is. You loser. That wouldn't be so crazy, would it? Yeah, it would be, you fucking idiot. Tucker Carlson is... I wouldn't be surprised if Tucker Carlson is the GOP nominee, and he says, no, no globalists in my administration, and of course, that means Jews. I, I can't. I can't anymore. I can't anymore. I can't. Self-important fuck. Crazy asshole. So now you can't now you can't talk about uh, globalism. You can't. It, it's 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 wrong. Of course, that's the the, the real thing here. Ameri the United States is meant to be like everybody else, a unit, a unit of a gigantic internationalist blob of shit. That's what it's supposed to be. If you if you concentrate on the nation and all of its resources for the people of the nation first, and you put everybody in the rest of the world off on the back burner because it's not your responsibility, you would hope that other adult human beings in other nations around the world would prioritize themselves and we can treat with each other as adults and let the chips fall where they may. Be friends and happy merchants with all, entangling alliances with none. That, of course, is an isolationist and racist approach and, of course, anti-Semitic. Because how could Israel, I guess, a, a, a nation state like Israel survive without everybody else plugging their resources into it to keep it alive? It, like, I, I don't understand why. I just don't understand. But there's nothing to understand. Because if you ask any kind of innocuous question to clear up the fucking fog, then you're a bigot. Okay. 
Moving on. New Zealand. New Ze- here, here's something. Here's something that will make your blood boil. We were talking about this just last night with our wonderful, wonderful show on bioethics and a wonderful guest, return guest in Scott Shara. We were talking about um, the New Zealand case where the, the family, they, their child, their baby needs life-saving heart surgery, but they want all supplemental blood that has to be pumped into the child as a, because as a, it's like 48-hour procedure apparently. They wanted it to come from unvaccinated donors. And New Zealand could not have any of that. And at the time, last night when we were on air, New Zealand was questioning whether or not they were going to take the child from the parents because they're dangerous conspiracy theorists. And here we have today confirmation of what the decision was. New Zealand takes custody of baby over parents' transfusion objection. Now, if we were really the shining city on the hill, the United States, we would say, uh, excuse me, bring that child to the United States immediately. And we would, we would actually call out New Zealand to the rest of the world and say, listen, we have vaccines available. We, uh, we have this available, that available. But every child, every parent has a, ch- has a choice of going out and, and getting care their way. We will give you, because they're standing in the way of donors, people who are unvaccinated that are willing to give their blood. I mean, this is the absolute fucked state of the world that we are living in right now. You would think that these parents of this child uh, opted to refuse the surgery because they're going to try the, to fix the child's heart through snake charming, some kind of snake charming magic or something. No, all, all they all they said was we want we want to make sure that there's um, no unvaccinated blood, and 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 here's the whole whole issue about it. It could never be accepted, never be accepted because it would legitimize the conspiracy theory couple, and they're trying to d- d- to destroy people who think for themselves. It would also hurt the feelings of the vaccinated. That's you have to understand and consider that at least. They don't want the vaccinated to feel like their blood is less than optimal. Okay, it's it, it's a public relation it's a public relations play number one for for the medical devices that they have gone to the edges of the earth to endorse and to push, and it's also to not hurt the feelings of all the people who misplace their trust in that system. They want this is just like. The, the people who are, are, you know, the band that's playing the music on the deck of the Titanic. Just stay calm. Everything's fine. Oh, there's nothing wrong with this blood. Nothing. Take that child away. They're nuts. So New Zealand's high court on Wednesday took custody of an infant whose parents insisted that he receive blood only from donors who had not been vaccinated against the novel coronavirus, a demand the court said prevented doctors from performing life-saving surgery. Nobody was prevented. Nobody was prevented. They just dug in and they made a pol- I would I would even say, and I gotta say this is what is bothering me. I got a lot of things bothering me right now, let's be honest. But what's bothering me is that it's a crucial part of this show to keep up with certain key stories, even if they are merely superficial and political in nature. He just want to know what's going on outside so that we could be more comfortable talking about other things 
inside. Leave the world out there, and we'll just do our thing in here. So it's okay. I find it and useful to keep up with the Joneses in the normie world while we can we continue to dig deeper and ask better questions and and build our own conversations in here. But this is this is not politics anymore, and it has been it hasn't been for a while. So it's it's becoming harder and harder to even talk about these issues. I've said for a while we are in a post-constitutional society. This is not a republic. Uh, this is not a republic. It hasn't been a republic for a very, very long time. We are, we've got to be able to grasp that, to be able to be realistic about where we're going next and what our responsibilities as individuals are because this whole, you know, this, this restoration thing is not going to happen the way we think it's going to be. Um, but there's another thing that's going on. It's the fact that even from a superficial political sense, we are in a post-political society. Everything, everything is deeply spiritual. It is deeply sectarian, religiously sectarian. I'm talking about religious sectarianism. Everything we grew up learning about uh, with the... between Muslims, warring tribes in the desert out there. It's happening here. It is satanic on the ground level, Luciferian at the decision-making level. It is that bad. When we, and when we get to, when we get to the Satan club thing, it'll come around f full circle. Uh, we, we need to be able to just keep that in mind as we go forward. We are in a post-political world. It is purely sectarian. There is no sense to be made from a decision like this to keep two parents from even having access to their child and denying a very simple request that does not even change the procedure that needs to be done on the child's heart to save the child. It is a political, it's a, it is a, cause, cause this is, this would be to, this would be to say that their sacrament is the opposite of what it claims to be. How dare you reject our sacrament? How dare you? And if you don't get all the sacraments, then you don't get the life-saving surgeries. So it's, um, now this is going on. So we'll keep an eye out on this and, 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 and God be with that child. What can you say? All right, 721, let's get on into it because I want to jump, I want to jump right into this Brittany Griner thing. Well, I've only mentioned once or twice in passing. But of course, the this story today asks questions of, damn, what a bad trade, huh? All right, we'll get around to that. Don't go anywhere. It's great to have you here. I shared all the live links across all of my socials. I would love it if you can sponsor me tonight with all of your social media muscle and syndicate the show. You are my Westwood One. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. 
It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back! Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Ladies and gentlemen, we have, and like I was saying, you would think if we were the country, everybody, well, that we remember, it's gotten bad. It's gotten real bad. Arms linked with New Zealand. Sickening. All right, so I hope that you've had an, an enjoyable day. I'm doing my thing over here, making sense where I can and pushing along. But this thing, I cannot make sense of at all. And I would love to ask you guys and gals of the audience your opinion on what do you think is going on? Is it just as superficial as we think? Is it just that we're talking about a LGBT black basketball player from the WNBA? Or is there something else? I mean, what is it? I mean, the election's behind us. What's the decision making? We're going to have to get into this tonight, and I hope that you call in. I really do. We're going to do this in the first half, and then we'll try to set the table for Steve and Jonathan in the second half. Here it is. Here it is. Number one. New York Post. Saudi Crown Prince. MBS. What is this? Mohammed bin Salman? Is that what it was? Yes. Mohammed bin Salman. He helped, he helped negotiate the release of this Brittany Griner, who is the dumbass who took banned substances. I don't care about cannabis, but the Russian government does. And if I ever had to go to Russia for something, despite my, uh, my completely neutral to positive feelings about cannabis and its uses, both medicinally and recreationally, I'm going to leave it home. I'm going to leave it home. I think that Brittany needs to be reminded of how good home actually was. I wonder if when she when she lands in New York or anywhere else, because I'm sure she'll take a, her her first trip will be to the the White House, so she can she can have a photo op with the um, the demented puppet dude. I wonder if she's going to take a knee as soon as she gets off the plane. That'll be interesting to see. Anyway. Biden grants the Saudi, so you have the Saudi prince that's helping get this girl out of, um, out of prison. So Biden first grants the Saudis immunity for the, the, uh, the murder of Mukashoggi. You remember that guy? 
Remember that guy that everybody was up in arms? Anything they can be, they'll be up in arms about Donald Trump going down to Puerto Rico and throwing a, a paper towel to somebody after Hurricane Maria. Oh, my God. He's throwing paper towels like this is a football game. He had two scoops of ice cream. Everybody else had one. Whatever the hell they could do. Then there's Khashoggi. Jamal Khashoggi. He was killed. He was murdered by the Saudis, they say. But they don't care about that anymore. Because Trump ain't around, so who the hell cares about Khashoggi, Ma Khashoggi? So first Biden goes to the Saudis and says, hey, you've got immunity for that whole murder thing. The orange man is not here anymore. Nobody cares. Uh, And also for this immunity, do you think that you can keep the oil flowing from the desert in spite of Ma climate change? Nobody batted an eye for any of that stuff. And then a couple of weeks later, the Saudis helped Biden free a Russian arms dealer in the middle of a war with Russia, and again, nobody bats an eye. They gave up the the literal Lord of War. That's why I picked the the the, the Nicholas Cage default picture for tonight's show. And I already told Abe that on Monday, Jan, uh, Monday, December twenty sixth, when all of our Christmas movies are done on the network. On Monday, December 26th, one of the first movies we've got to play is Lord of War. So be on the lookout for that one. This is the guy. At least one of the main guys that that character was was formed after. And it's a pretty badass film, to be honest. Um, so anyway, this is just it. My question is, where the hell? What is it? What is it all about? The landmark prison swap freed NBA, WNBA, <laughs> WNBA. Uh, star Brittany Griner from a Russian gulag. It was brokered by none other than notorious Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The role of the Crown Prince, widely known as MBS, in the sensitive negotiations was outlined in a joint statement released by the Foreign Ministries of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. The success of the mediation efforts was a reflection of the mutual and solid friendship between their two countries and the United States of America and the Russian Federation. The two countries wrote. The swap also highlighted the important role played by the leaderships of two brotherly countries in promoting dialogue between all parties. So we we managed to make the Saudis look great. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them. So um, I, I don't know how long you would give it. How long do you give it before Griner, who, listen, I don't comment about people's appearance. But suddenly, I saw all of the release, the pre-release footage, and she's got a tape up. She looks like Aaron Judge. She's got a tape up. She's being asked, how you feeling? Great. I feel great. It's, I don't, I don't know. Then I said, okay, well, maybe this is just her voice. So I went and I looked up some of her post-game her post-game uh, talking, and she's like at least an octave higher. So I'm like, did 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 she get denied like hormones or something in the uh, in the Russian? And, and then they cut her cut her hair like a like like it's Aaron Judge. Like the four, I it, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here, but um, I can I can have my own theories. There's just something going on. Anyway. I'd give it at least three weeks. 
before she is on the covers of a Wheaties box. She'll be on every television show, television show and radio show known to man. Somebody's going to ghostwrite her a book about her time in the Russian gulag. It's going to be like the gulag archipelago, but only sucks. And the only thing that won't happen, unfortunately, the only thing that will not happen is that there will be no discernible rise in interest in women's basketball. So that that's something we're going to have to find. Something. There's no amount of kidnappings from Russia that can happen to make people watch the WNBA. Here's Joe Biden on Brittany Griner trade with Russia. This was not a choice of which American to bring home because what, what is that all about? We left behind, apparently... We left behind a, uh, a Marine. There's a Marine out there that's just chilling. I didn't know this stuff until recently. Where is it? Uh, NBA, w, WNBA star Brittany Griner has been released from a Russian penal colony. White House prisoner swap with the Kremlin plunged into controversy. Saudi prince helped, uh, ha, um, helped broker the deal. Two days ago, U.S. lawsuit holding him responsible for Jamal Khashoggi's murder trial was dropped. White House returned merchant of death arms dealer Victor Boat Boot to Russia. He was in jail for selling weapons to U.S. adversaries across the world. American military veteran Paul Wieland, Wieland remains in detention. Republicans call that unconscionable and said the U.S. was putting celebrities over veterans. Well, I wouldn't call anybody from the WNBA a celebrity. But, I mean, you, you got to be, you, you're telling me that there's not a little, little something in the check check marking of lgbt race boxes of, of, of this whole thing i mean think of bradley manning bradley manning goes to jail this is a person who actually committed the crimes of getting information out to a publisher that is julian assange and still released went through a sex transition inside of and inside the hospital and gone way early and Julian Assange is still is still wasting away in captivity you're you're telling me that Barack Obama didn't do that because Manning was on the LGBT spectrum and it was a political thing it was a a signal flare it was something like that so I'm thinking maybe that's it because what is the What's the trade? What is it all about? Here's Joe Biden saying that a choice was not made, even though a choice was clearly had to be made. And Brittany's. We never forgot about Brittany. We've not forgotten about Paul Whelan, who's been unjustly detained in Russia for years. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. But of course. But of course it was. I, I just, I don't, hey, listen, here, and here's the choice. Here's, here is what was given. Here's a little bit from 60 Minutes on this guy, Boot, the Lord of War himself. Listen to this. Victor Boot, uh, in, in my eyes, um, is one of the most dangerous men on the face of the earth. On the face of the earth. Without a doubt. Now, listen, you're talking about government, company men, uh, these types that are are looking around the world. We, I, I understand everybody's got blood on their hands in this uh in the world, especially when you're acting on, on this level of power. But just, just consider the profile, the profile of the arms dealer 
that was just released. Uh, the resume. I'm just trying to think of the trade, not about the hypocrisy of anybody representing the United States government calling anybody else dangerous to one uh, type of, uh, one way of living or another. Okay, I understand that, but just listen to this. Mike Braun, the former chief of operations for the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, told us Boot first exploded on the scene in war-torn West Africa in the late 1980s. Elevating bloody conflicts from machetes and single-shot rifles to... AK-47s, not by the thousands, but by the tens of thousands. So he weaponizes civil war in Africa. He transformed these young adolescent warriors into uh, insidious, mindless, maniacally driven killing machines that operated with assembly line efficiencies. Now 43, boot from the Soviet Republic of Tajikistan, is a mystery man who reportedly served in the Soviet Air Force and Intelligence Service. So you, you see the resume there, and I'm thinking to myself, you couldn't get two people out of jail for this guy? You couldn't get two people out of jail for this guy? It was, it, 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 you called it even with the WNBA player who was stupid enough to try to bring banned substances into Russia? That, that's what this came down to? It's just, it's just unbelievable. And some people are really upset about it. Now, here's a DEA agent is disgusted about the move, disgusted that Boot was traded. Derek Maltz, who oversaw the Drug Enforcement Administration's investigation of Victor Boot, told ABC News he's disgusted that Boot, a convicted Russian arms dealer, was traded for Brittany Griner. It's really upsetting to me, he said. In 2008, Maltz was a special agent in charge of the DEA's Special Operation Division, whose agents took down Boot in a sting operation in Thailand. The DEA was asked to make this guy take this guy down because he was such a national security threat. In November of 2007, Boot agreed to sell DEA informants posing as rebels in Colombia millions of dollars in weapons. Boot was ready to sell a, uh, sell a weapons arsenal that would be the envy of any small country. Of, of, again, again, hypocrisy. Just You have to ignore some of the hypocrisy and just build up the character profiles of the trade because the... The Afghan what we left the Tal the new Taliban government, which nobody even talks about Afghanistan anymore, as far as the treasure trove of cash and ammunition and a small air force and uh, uh, an entire mechanized line of armored vehicles, it it's just incredible what we left them, tens of billions of dollars, including a ready to go trillion dollar to two trillion dollar a year opium, uh, opium business which makes me feel like it's not really all out of our hands out there i don't know i just don't see how you can leave that money how you just don't start the war up all over again it's almost like they just wanted to be able to have a less expensive reason to be in there and harvesting the poppies i, I just don't know you just add, it's it's I have no evidence. I don't have an inside man or woman. I just got there's just something that doesn't make sense about all that. But here you have it. Now, I understand this kind of sting because again, I'm sure that there are a lot of DEA agents out there. Though the entire the entire DEA should not exist. 
Um, there's a lot of DEA agents out there who want to do good work, and they see certain people as threats to the the uh, the U.S. and they see themselves as a uh, a shield against which danger can beat can beat itself, and um, and they can keep that from coming to the homeland. Especially since we're so incendiary around the world, we keep giving people more reason to want to hurt us. But um, but it reminds me of another one. This is not the first time that a Joe Biden-involved operation has done something like, something like this for political gain. Although, again, I don't know what the gain is. I just don't understand what the gain is. Here is a story that I've brought up several times over the years. This is from Politico going back to, when is it now? I forget. It's years, though. Obama was still in office. The secret backstory of how Obama let Hezbollah off the hook, an ambitious U.S. task force targeting Hezbollah's billion-dollar criminal enterprise, ran headlong into the White House's desire for a nuclear deal with Iran. This, is, this, was, called, this was a story that Politico broke about the disruption of Project Cassandra that they were running out, that the DEA was running against Hezbollah, who was at least in a, a smaller uh, way, running hundreds of millions of dollars into the United States to buy used cars and then getting the used cars shipped out into Africa for whatever their uses are, I don't know. But they had this Hezbollah general in their sights and all of these drugs and money and other kind of schemes were running through our country and in many ways targeting our country. And, um, and they stood out of the way of it because they did not want to cause any problems for themselves in negotiating the Iran deal, which, again, another thing where I don't care one way or another. I just don't understand how the Iran deal was an advantage where you say it's supposed to keep nuclear arms out of Iran, but it doesn't do anything but delay them from getting nuclear armed. I, 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 I don't get any of this stuff. This is why I just laughed it off, and I was really more pissed off about how they screwed up all of the treaty process. They tried to turn and they, they inverted the treaty process of the, of the Constitution on its head around 2015 or 14, whenever this was going on. That was more so the things that were getting me pissed off. The Iran thing, I don't I still don't get it, but here it is, Hezbollah, which is is Iranian-backed. They didn't want to cause any problems at the negotiating table, as weak as we were under Obama, and we were, we were pathetic, pathetic. Pathetic again, of course, but um, you can read about this political every once in a while. They, they do critical work, and that is uh, Project Cassandra. It was launched in 2008 after the DEA amassed evidence that Hezbollah had transformed itself from a Middle East-focused military and political organization into an international crime syndicate that some investigators believe was collecting $1 billion a year from drug and weapons trafficking, money laundering, and other criminal activities. And it was running through, at least filtering through, in some ways, the United States. And they had a beat on it, and then it was just kind of scuttled. So, um... 
That's it. Yeah, they were they were here it is. They followed cocaine shipments, some from Latin America to the West Africa and on to Europe and in the Middle East, and others through Venezuela and Mexico into the United States. They tracked the river of dirty cash it was as it was laundered by, among other tactics, buying American used cars and shipping them to Africa. And with the help of some key cooperating witnesses, the agents traced the conspiracy they believed to the innermost circles of Hezbollah and its state sponsors in Iran. But they needed that useless, weird deal. So again, what are all of the uh, what are all of the the inspiration? What's the inspiration behind it all? I don't know. I don't know. I can't believe you couldn't get two people for one warlord. Two people for one warlord. I I just can't believe it because I'll tell you something. The uh, the market value. In the United States, we're not talking about war. The market value in the in the United States for the WNBA uh, doesn't come close. Doesn't come close to the value of a warlord. So I I don't know where this comes from. I don't know where this comes from. I don't know why you can't get one more person out of that deal. So um, you guys, you let me know what you think about that. And we are going to come on back and uh, and deal with this in the last 15 minutes. I want to take your calls, and then, or maybe the last 10 minutes. We're going to take your calls, and then we're going to go and take a break and set the stage for Stephen Jonathan as he comes by, because I want to talk about the uh, emergence of yet another very proud satanic after-school program, this time in Virginia. Don't go nowhere. I want you to know it. Practice safe sex. So do I. What on earth could have destroyed this lock? Well, the simple answer is this key, but as you can tell by the way I'm able to actually snap the key off in the lock, this key isn't a normal key. It's made out of something very special that will destroy the lock. It's made out of pure gallium, an element that's able to melt at around 26 degrees centigrade. It's even melting by the heat of my hand, as you can see here. Fascinating metal. After an hour, that key has dissolved into the lock itself and I can rub away the anodizing on the aluminium body. And it breaks apart like it's made of chalk. It's so strange that a piece of gallium can be absorbed into the aluminium metal and make it so brittle. It actually forms a degenerate alloy that destroys aluminium. Ah, oh, so fascinating and so cool. You're listening quite frankly.
Okay. You know, I have what was what is the the John Cazal? Uh, I knew it was you, John Cazal. Let me see. I knew it was you. Is this 2009? Yeah. I. At some point, we gotta play this. We gotta find a way to play this on the on the network as well. There was a 2009 documentary film. I think it came. Was it HBO? Yes. This is it. It's a 40 minute long, 40 minute long a documentary on the life and the career of John Cazal, Fredo, the guy who played Fredo Corleone, who is probably one of the actually one of the best actors in the entire film but it's just so understated and i love i love the the, the i mean it's a great insult you know you so you call somebody fredo especially when they're they're the weak one the bumbling one in the family or in the organization or something like that but the man behind fredo corleone is oh man i loved this this documentary it's called I knew it was you and it came out in 2009 it was only about 40 minutes long it, it premiered on HBO and it's just incredible and I gotta get that on the network one uh, one Sunday or, or something especially in 2023 when we start doing the the film the film club I don't know how we're gonna do that yet it's gotta be different than than the book club of course because it's just you know one sitting you watch a movie it's a it's a great documentary. If you can find it anywhere out there, and if you like those movies, you gotta watch it. It's just so fascinating. Love that. Uh, all right, let's go and take some calls and read some super chats. Nine one four five nine five six nine five three. What do you think about all this stuff? And um, I don't know. We got a couple of minutes, and then we're gonna go to a, an early intermission because I gotta set the table for our guest, David Sunden. David Sundin on Rockfin sends a nice tip. Thank you so much, David. It's great to have you here tonight with me and everybody else. I want to thank Straight Jacket. Ten minutes ago, says Victor Boot has killed more people worldwide than the number of people that have attended WNBA games of all time. It's true. It's true. Now, do I know that? How do I know that? For no other reason than I know that nobody watches the NBA. So he could have killed a minimal amount of people. And it's, <laughs> it's still it's still grossly outnumbers that. Lord Glasscock. Lord Glasscock says, haters gonna hate. But I'm just glad Nicolas Cage is finally free. That movie is I was I was going to go and grab the last scene from that movie. Um where where is it? hold on, hold on. Lord of War. Let's see. It, but it's just too long. The interrogation scene with Ethan Hawke. It's just too long. Um the Lord of War, the final scene where Ethan Hawke is sitting there. And he and, and the, here's a guy. Here's a guy who he's got his man, and he once again somebody on the inside who wants to do well, who wants to take down global criminals, who wants to be able to hinder war local warlords from having all this access to you know 
weapons of mass destruction and, and ruining people's lives and all that. He wants to be able to hamstring those efforts. And he runs right into the buzzsaw of government relationships, inside deals, and realizing that the Lord of War, Yuri Orlov, as his name is Nicolas Cage, Yuri's, Yuri's um, line of work is sanctioned by all of those same world leaders out there who get in front of the television and says, oh, warlord here and uh, a tragedy over there. They're all working together. Lord of War, um, it's not as it's not as well well done, but it's still a great movie. Is right in the same category as the the Departed, with uh, Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio. Which that's another one of those movies that if you haven't seen it in a while, you should watch it again. Okay, The Departed, Lord of War, one of those things where you realize that there is a the fine line that separates the criminals from the law is really. Sometimes the line gets very blurred and you don't know who is who. And sometimes, and many times, one needs the other to exist. And um, it's very cozy. But if you have not watched Lord... In fact, Abe, Abe, if you hear me right now, we got to get Lord of War and The Departed on that same movie Monday. That same movie Monday on the 26th. That would be a that would be a great lineup for sitting around and watching movies together on quite frankly TV. That would be a great night. Oh yeah, maybe that's what we do. Maybe I take the day off, and I just stay home with Lauren, and I watch Lord of War, and The Departed with her, with all of you on quite frankly TV, and then we come back the next day, the twenty seventh, my mother's birthday, and we talk about everything you. Uh, everything that you noticed and that'll be like the first de facto quite frankly film club how does that sound sound good i hear some murmuring out there people are not sure yet some people said yes emphatically others are like oh well, i don't know hollywood or oh, hollywood yes i know but i'm just saying all right 914-595-6953 might as well stop talking to myself Albert Frederick says all 10 of Biden's high-profile appointees are Zionists. That's right. Every single one. How soon before it's illegal to talk about them? George H.W. Bush signed the Noahide laws into U.S. law on March 20th, 1991. Let's take a call. 865, you're on the air. What's going on? I, for one, would love to watch some movies, quite frankly. Oh, well, let's do it then. Who is this? This is the Coot Club. Um, I'm a dude on TikTok. I've talked to you before. Well, it's great to have you on the again. Movie, the movie, the Lord of War is such a red pill movie, especially if you're just now getting into guns and gear because you ultimately find out that the U.S. government is the biggest arms dealer, and we're seeing that in real life right now. When I woke up today and saw that the Merchant of Death is getting released, while simultaneously, Joe Biden is now they're just like out in the open saying, "Yeah, we're coming with, we're coming for your semi-automatic weapons, you know, with HR eighteen zero eight, the assault weapons ban." As he's funding one billion dollars in arms deals to Qatar, and I think it was three hundred and twenty-three million to Finland. 
It's just like, God, yeah. They're the biggest arms dealer of them all, just not to you. I, it's, it's such great points. I, I thank you so much for calling up and dropping all that. That was that was well done. Much love to you, Frank. Well, well done. Thank you so. And, and wait, wait, what's your name again? Because I'd like to store you. The Pook K O K Club. Z Pook Club. Okay, I'm just gonna say Z Pook. You can just call me Pook. Okay, <laughs> Pook. You got it. Well, oh, I hope that you're. Uh, I hope that you come back on soon and and, uh, and stay uh, stay frosty out there. Back at you, dude. Take care. Be well. There you go. Pook. Coming and going. King, what's going on? Are you calling in about the departed? Was that? Are you calling in about the departed? No. Oh, okay. What's up? I, w- I was calling in to ask, uh, 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 give a suggestion and ask if it's okay with you. Remember, because uh, this is more, a little more lighthearted because I know you're getting ready to get serious and you've been serious, just to kind of make it a little bit lighthearted. You remember when you asked me to be part of the book club and I told you I wasn't qualified because I'm borderline illiterate? Yes. Okay. So, like, and then you talked about the movie night you're going to do. Yeah. So, um, can we set up a movie night for Tougher Than Leather? Oh, oh of course we could do that. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? So um, I posted the whole movie on my YouTube channel, and that movie is so god-awful that nobody wants to claim it, and it's in the public domain, but they banned it on my YouTube channel for copyright claims, which I don't understand. So, like, I'll send you the link, and then we can figure out one night where we do a, a movie night for that you got it all right with you you got it you 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 send me the link and, and we'll and and we'll uh we'll figure out like a night in january or something yeah and we'll take it from there right yeah it don't have to be right away all right we'll figure it out all right tough, better, tougher better than leather with you absolutely tougher than leather it'll be a cheesy movie night yeah <laughs> okay i'm liking that send it my all way right. all right Yes, sir. You have a great night, great show. I'll talk to you soon. Later, brother. Be good. Yes, sir. Okay, let's go and uh, let's take a call. Randy, you're the last call before the break. What's going on? Hi, Frank. I just want to suggest a show topic that's been on my mind. I think it would be a great idea. You're you're a parent, too, right? Welcome to parenthood. I have a lot of young kids myself, and the thing that keeps me up is what their generation is going to have to face. Hmm. I have four kids that are uh, 12 and under, and every day I go to sleep at night thinking, how do I prepare these these young souls for the future? And I think this would be a great show topic because I'm sure I'm not the only parent who's losing sleep over this issue. But I have an elevator pitch that I tell them. It's stay human, stay faithful, and stay free. And I, uh, I can go into all those different areas, but that's my elevator pitch for like, if I had to die tomorrow, what advice would I leave to my kids to prepare them for this hellscape they're facing? Okay, that last part right there, that last question that you just posed right there, email me that last question. I'll turn it into a, uh, I'll turn it into a show thread on the forum, and uh, we'll promote we'll promote it for a couple of weeks, and we'll turn it into a we'll turn it into a a call in show once we have enough responses. 
Love it. I'd love to hear what other people are teaching their kids. No, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that th- that will get some good response because that's something that uh, if you are a parent of one or 15, you're asking all those same questions right now. You're always trying to soak up the present, but you, you're, your mind, you have no choice but to think about the future. So send me that question, and thanks again for the call, Randy. Okay, will do. Thanks, Frank. All right, good take care. Good job, good job. All right, well, we got uh, we got three in. It's 7.58. I'm going to take a uh, intermission. We come back. I'm going to set the table with this Satan after-school program thing, and then we bring on Stephen Jonathan, a longtime educator and um, and a good man, good man. We're going to have a good talk tonight, and it'll get Christmassy toward the end. So uh, don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome to Intermission. We'll we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 Quite Quite frankly. 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 So everybody watch, quite frankly, with Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? All right. Our wonderful guest, Stephen Jonathan, is hanging out in the viewing audience right now. He's enjoying himself. I'm happy to hear that. So I'm going to just make sure that I have everything uh, done right now. Got a couple of super chats that just came in from Foxhole. Let me go over there to quitefrankly.tv. That's another thing that I hope to be going into 2023 about. Tuesday and Thursday nights having a set theme, no matter how simplistic, but something to plug in the two remaining days on the broadcast week so that all throughout the week there's something going on into the night after every broadcast of Quite Frankly. Um, we're going to be doing that soon too. So at the top of the list, we got Boyce Blanc. 
Boyce Blanc sent a cookie. Thank you so much, Boyce Blanc. It says, look, uh, look, a clock. I know. Yes, I know. A clock. Damn, damn clock. My brother couldn't say truck. I made that embarrassing for my mom. Uh, older brother. Yeah. I wasn't that... I wasn't that separated, too separated from Anthony to be able to play on his linguistic ineptitudes at the time. You know, we're only two two years apart, so if I were seven and he was two, then I would definitely be coaxing him into saying terrible things. But that's a we did that to my cousin Amanda. We did that to my cousin Amanda. We 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 got her to to scream stuff at the at the mailman and things like that. So, you know, we we did it when we could. Thank you so much to. Oh wait, hold on. I gotta pause this. Good. Witchy Poo says Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Witchy Poo. So happy to have you guys out there. Cookie fight has now started. Stickman Freediver says Hey Frank, saw a bumper sticker on a dump truck the other day that said Unvaxed sperm, one thousand dollars a load. Some people, are, you know, the only thing that is that uh, how are you gonna trust it? How are you going to trust? I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be people out there who are like, I will do anything for some unvaxxed sperm. But how do you trust it? Just can't. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, says Witchy Poo. That's what our Christmas cards are going to say. We, we, Lauren has everything set up. We're going to get them sent away. So people who send Christmas cards to the studio, to the uh, the show, through the P.O. box that's listed on the Sponsor Us tab on QuiteFrankly.tv. Um, we've already had a wonderful amount of Christmas cards coming in. So this morning as Aurora is eating her breakfast and Lauren's eating her breakfast and I'm sitting there with my coffee and I'm just, you know, opening up some Christmas cards and reading them and then putting them in front of Aurora... You know, one has a snowman, one has a nice scenic snow Christmassy scene, uh, like a farmhouse and stuff. More all around, one that came in just for Aurora. So she's just like, you know, eating her her cereal and stuff. And she's just looking at all these pictures and she's, "Mm, mm." she's having so much fun. Well, anyway, everybody gets a response in Christmas. I, I tend to respond to almost everyone no matter what, but at Christmas time, yeah. And we usually send a family Christmas card out, so that's what it'll be. Oh, let's see. Paulie says, Red Cross in New Zealand, blood bank story. Red Cross, Red Shield, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. Griner, male, stole two Olympic gold medals from Russia, said Paulie. I don't know about that. I didn't hear about that. Witchy Poo sent a fleet. Incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And now a bunch of Witchy Poo. Now cookies. A whole sleeve of cookies. Stickman. Boyce Blanc. Jesse1138. Oh, it keeps going. Space Coast Patriot says, I know it was you, Fredo. I know know it was you. Is on YouTube. Let me see. Hold on. I knew it was you. Oh, it's there. It's there, John Cazal. I knew it was you. Yep. Oh, this, oh, this, this is terrific. It's terrific. You can watch it. You can watch it tonight if you wanted to. 
That's something that we should uh, should throw up on a on a Thursday night. Ah, oh, see, this is the kind of stuff I like. So I'm gonna have to watch that later on now, because it takes forever for me to 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 download these damn episodes afterwards. I'm just sitting around and doing little odds and ends for God knows how long. So maybe I'll watch that on my own. All right, uh, what do we have here now? Okay, one thing I'm going to play before we bring on Steve and Jonathan, and that is the latest. This is uh, a, a report done from by Emerald Robinson. Emerald Robinson about Virginia. And then I'm going to bring on Steve and Jonathan. We're going to talk about the overall trend of the Satanic Temple after school Satan Club. The Satan Club that is uh, gaining, gaining traction. And now when we say gaining traction, you say, well, Frank, it's only four places. Yes, it is four places in the United States in which they are so confident in being out at this point. It's like when you see a rat running along the wall, running along the baseboards. If the rat has revealed itself, you know that the walls are infested already. Just saying. Here's a little bit from Emerald Robinson. Take a listen to this. It's a headline so horrifying, you honestly would think it's satire, but it's real. An elementary school in Chesapeake, Virginia, will allow the Satanic Temple to host an after-school Satanic program for children. Now, this is a video the Satanic Temple put out to promote the program. Satan's not an evil guy. He wants you to learn and question why. Have fun and be yourself. And by the way, there is no hell. This is the commercial. Science is important, so we understand the world. Science is important, so we understand the world. First of all, science has always been important to people of faith. Always been important. Science and faith together have done incredible things. Satan looks for truth. Let's help him, boys and girls. Satan looks for truth. Let's help him, boys and girls. This is not... You would think that this was some maybe slightly poor taste, but just over-the-line satirical SNL from back in the day. Yeah, so, I mean, that's um, that's what's going on here. And that is in Virginia, the land of presidents. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to call up uh, Stephen Jonathan. And before we do that, I want to read you a little something about him so you understand what kind of a guest we have coming back tonight. Stephen is the founder of St. Isidore's Artisan Academy at Stella Maris Ranch in Seadrift, Texas. He is the executive director of the St. Thomas More Teaching Fellowship for the Archdiocese of Boston Catholic Schools. Stephen is a senior fellow at the Car- uh, Cardinal Newman Society and a senior fellow at the American Principles Project. He's a writer, public speaker on culture and education. On culture and education, Stephen's primary mission is to articulate the nature and the purpose of an authentic education and it's been i don't know it's been at least a year but maybe two it's great to have him back though steven jonathan how you feeling Frank? good to see you i'm it's great how are you great to see you too my friend in fact i think the last time you were on you weren't able to see me because i didn't have this secondary um 
the secondary uh, camera angle set up. So now we're on even playing field. That's right. That's better. <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay, listen, let's just jump right into this. I have another clip for you. Uh, I mean, first of all, some of your thoughts, um, general thoughts about the Satan Club that is now not a one-off. It's a four-off. And obviously, as I said, the rats are probably behind the walls if you see them, if you see them running across the uh, the, the, the living room floor. Uh, some thoughts on this as far as where public and private education is going these days and the influence of this kind of really, uh, I don't know, this, this really hardcore humanist satanic worldview. Yeah, the interesting thing is that they... Uh... The After School Satan Club, they kind of tried in 2016, 2017 to get some centers going, and it didn't go well. I, I heard one of the reasons was they didn't have volunteers to come to these centers. Their plan is to come wherever there's a good news club, and in the name of religious freedom, they want to open a satanic after school program. Uh, and then they, it's very, very tricky. I think what people wouldn't understand is that what the modern public schools are doing is very similar to what the satanic temple would want to do in their after-school Satan programs. Uh, I think that would be the shocking truth. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's all very confrontational and all very antagonistic. Uh, when I, I had interviewed a couple of times a, a former head of the uh, the satanic temple and, and how they were they would show up and do the black masses and in Harvard and and all that and it really is just about okay well where where is anybody on uh, in uh, in the Christian uh, realm going to be showing their faces we're going to show up and just be antagonistic because of course they say they are they are a anti-theistic they have no they're an, an atheist religion is something that is so oxymoronic to me um, but I guess it kind of makes sense when you when you realize that the mission statement is just to be antagonistic whenever they can be. Yeah, and I think they're just antagonistic to anything that is making claims about the supernatural or making claims about authentic religion. Uh, I think they're very sympathetic and very simpatico with the way secular humanist edu uh, society is going. I think it's very compatible. You got to listen to this. Here is the second one I, I wanted to bring up. There is a, uh, a Satan club could be coming to uh, Guilford County in North Carolina. This is somewhere around Greensboro. And this was a, in April, late April of this year. Now, in this particular report, they had a telephone interview with one of the women that is representing the after school Satan club. And I just want you to listen to about a minute here because they have two separate sect, uh, sections of her her thoughts on this, what they're doing, why they're there. Listen to this. Its sole purpose is to offer a safe and all-inclusive alternative to other religious programs, including the Good News Club. Everett explains that the club has two roles when deciding which schools to start a club. They already have a religious club meeting at the school, and they go where their presence is requested. So the Satanic Temple is a non-theistic religion, meaning that we don't believe in an actual literal Satan. Um, what we do believe is Satan as a symbol to um, standing up to tyrannical authority, um, asking questions and, um, you know, like uh, bringing, bringing the hypocrisy of our laws really, you know, forward. So standing up to tyrannical authority, wow, yeah. I mean, go ahead, go ahead, Stephen. 
I, I can't, I'm a public school teacher. How many public school teachers have I said, heard saying very, very similar, if not the exact same thing without mentioning Satan? This is what ought to trouble parents, is that this is the rhetoric in the schools anyway, radical relativism, um, a disconnect from things that are transcendental, uh, a, vi a, an, a revulsion from what they're calling laws. This is really about anarchy and self-worship. They, they fall short of saying that's what it is, but that's what it is. It's not really atheistic. It's a self-assumption that one is one one's own God. Uh, and it doesn't come through, but a lot of what they're saying just isn't true. And it's really hard to, it's really hard to disentangle it. But as we go over the seven tenets later, hopefully we'll be able to discover and uncover how untrue many of the things that lady said were. I, yeah, I want to do that right now. But, but, but first, I want to uh, I want to just stop a little bit on what you just said right there, how uh, this is what this is what the status quo is without ever mentioning Satan. And I had brought this up, I think it was about, I don't know if it was earlier this year, whenever the Astro World um, thing happened where there we had the Travis Scott concert and there was a stampede and people were analyzing what was going on at, on stage. They were analyzing all the, the, the music, the imagery, the kind of drug use that was going on over there, the, the crowd control techniques and everything else. They said, this is a satanic... Uh, operation and people, of course, those who have to run out and fact check this stuff and say, "Oh, put 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 put," everything's satanic. It's there's nothing satanic about this, and that's the whole point. People wonder. I guess they they need somebody to be dressed up in in black robes and and having deer antlers on their head or any other sporting any other kind of symbols to for this to be something that is satanic. Not understanding, not understanding that the the. The everything in this country, the baseline of how we operate, especially in in education and in media, is pushing Satanism, which is this in this in uh, this uh, investing in the humanist experience, devoid of any kind of higher authority, because you are the highest authority in your life, and that is all. People don't understand that they 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 think that it's it, it, you need people to be running around with their faces painted red for this to be a satanic something that's going on. So yeah, expand a little bit more on that if you can. Yeah, that what you just said is is very well explained. I can't remember. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said one of Satan's best tricks is to get people to not believe in him. It's funny because the Satanic Temple says, we don't even believe in Satan except for as a symbol of freedom from authority. That's enough to really understand that, that it is in fact Satanic and that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. All Satan needs you to do is to ignore or hate God or see yourself as the authority, to make yourself the priest, prophet, and king of your own life. That's all Satan needs you to do. And that's what the secular humanist agenda wants you to do because it makes you a good sheep. And that's what Satan wants you to do because it makes you a good sheep. Mm. So that that's that's in a nutshell. So it the, is very satanic. Then start, let's just, let's just kick this right off then because what, the seven fundamental tenets for the satanic temple, I think I've done this a little bit in the past. I at least went around, I think the third tenant because that made a lot of headlines even earlier on in this year and a little bit late last year with the abortion the abortion situation. We'll get to that when we when when it comes up naturally. But uh, get us kicked off. Let's talk about this one by one. Let's let's now. Third one mentioned the the satanic temple 
they, they claim that that is a religious sacrament. They claim that that's a religious ceremony that, that they're gonna invoke rights to have an abortion ritual. It's crazy, and I sent you some billboards we can look at later, but let's look at the first one. But before we do, let me say this. They are so clever and so well done that most of us being deformed by the world, including myself, we would read these and think that they sound good. And then when we criticize them, they come back and say, well, that's not what we mean. It, it could be an endless word game. So before we even do this, we have to set up the ground rules. Here's the deal. We have to agree that what the words say, we should read them and we should look to the realities to which they point and discuss those realities. It's not up for negotiation, the realities they point to, but it is up to negotiating how we interpret this. So I hope we can be really clear and discover how really terrible these things are, even though they might sound really good to our modern ears. Mm -hmm. And I admit they sound good. So do you want to read the first one? Number one, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Yeah, that sounds good. Everybody who hears that says, yes, we should strive for to act with compassion and empathy. Those are the two, well, empathy is the number one virtue in the public schools. And I don't need to explain why it's a huge problem other than to say this. They make an all statement with, we should act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures. That's like a universal statement, meaning they're placing compassion and empathy as the highest things. And then they're claiming those things should be guided by reason. Now this is really twisty and ironic because we should use our reason to guide our empathy and our compassion, but these are not the guides for how we treat other people. It's not about how we feel about them. It's actually our character. The highest thing we can do is, is morally understand intellectually what a person's worth and treat them accordingly, not by how we feel about it, by how, but by how they actually are. So what they're doing here that's really tricky is they're taking the emotions, which are not a standard of truth, and they're elevating it to the highest good. Mm -hmm. yeah, People it, it, probably wouldn't see that, and I, you know, I didn't see it the first time I read it because it sounds so good. Well, but I mean, big, go ahead. I was going to say that is the that, that's the mindset driving all of the scams like that we have going on at the southern border. It's hijacked human compassion. It's a way to completely destroy any kind of moral objectivity. And uh, again, just really riding that wave of Frankfurt School deconstructionism to make sure that the mind is a completely flattened plane that there is not. Of course, if you if you are the type that believes in 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 a in a world that is grounded and and uh, and and rooted in divine principles from God, that is something that needs to be flattened and destroyed as well. They don't have any compassion or empathy toward that. Now, of no. course, and, and and as you said too, to read the words and to see how it is employed are two different things, and that's when the truth really comes out. That's right. And there's another very important point with reason there. The they are obviously in this whole set of tenets pushing relativism, which means that reason is not objective; it's subjective. So subjective reason guiding guiding the idea that we should have compassion toward, and empathy towards all creatures, it's ridiculous in this case. It would be okay to say there is objective truth, and according to objective truth, we should be compassionate 
in accord to reality. That's fine. But the real real problem here is that empathy, emotions, it's not even a not even a real human characteristic. We should have charity well over miles above empathy. Mm. And I know everyone loves empathy, but empathy is highly overrated in society today. Uh, but it is important to have compassion for human souls. It's not important to have compassion for a cobra snake or an alligator that, that is about to bite your head off, which um, I guess they would say, yeah, a reason we'd, we'd run from the alligator, but they say all creatures in a strange way. It's just bizarre. Anyway, we can move on from that. Well, it, it, it is bizarre, but it also explains another trend that we have seen forming in the last however many years, and that is the need for everybody to understand the villain more. What is it? Now, it, it is it is good when, when you're analyzing a narrative, whether it be a comic book or a story, and a great epic. Uh, it's, it's good to understand that everybody has an origin story, the villain and the hero. They all have trials and tribulations that they have to go through and it formed them in different ways and whatever. But there is a new, there's a new obsession with seeing some kind of sexiness in the villain, in the broken character. And, and, uh, and it's become so prevalent over the years. I think that that's, that's obvious too. So I think when you think about the cobras and the alligators that have now have to uh, take on the same kind of loving, uh, tender, tender uh, embrace as everything else. That's the first thing I think about. Number two, I want guy. Let's see. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. What the? What yeah. the? Wait. What is that one? That one is just weird from the get go. Prevail it, over it, laws and institutions. Yeah. Yeah, this is so perfect. It is a truth to say that we should struggle for justice. Justice means what is owed to the other. I think they invert the order and say justice is what's owed to me. I think that's the first inversion. That's all of society. That's what the schools teach. The, the virtue of justice is a social virtue that means we strive to ask and answer the question, what do I owe you? That's a social justice of virtue. But that they say that it's necessary to pursue to, and, and to have that prevail over all laws and institutions is a statement of rebellion. And that should be really clearly understood. It's true that we have laws grounded in the Ten Commandments from early in the country. It's also true that now they're devolving into uh, arbitrary, more and more meaningless laws. And they're claiming they want more anarchy in the pursuit of justice, which they'd probably define as self-satisfaction or the freedom or the license to do whatever you want. Mm. So there's a lot going on there. There is. And to, to combine that with number three here, uh, one's, uh, one's body is inviolable and inviolable and subject to one's own will alone. Now, when I think of number two and number three, I think of some of the conversations I've had with former high-ranking members of Satanic Temple, and they were very Darwinian in their thinking. It it was it was the the strong should be able to prevail over the weak. That is just the normal order of things. If you if you're not if you're not strong enough to to be able to to fight off uh, somebody else, then to the victor the spoils. Uh, so to to. To think about that kind of ag aggression that I have heard articulated quite a few times, um, 
to look at this, the struggle for justice and one one's old body is inviolable, or, or this next one, the freedoms, number four, the freedoms of others to be respected, including the freedom to offend, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own, which is, you, you can just see the inverse in it all because this is set up to make sure that people, people who have any kind of differing be- belief from, from this very untethered worldview are going to get just destroyed. That's right. That's right. So that number four is such a contradiction because they say you're free to offend, but once that offense goes over to encroaching on another's freedoms, your freedoms are gone. It's such a bizarre and vicious statement. Mm. There's no way to salvage number four. But number three, I wanted to make this one point. There is a certain material truth to the fact that we can make choices over our body. But beyond that, when it comes to justice, it's much more profound to say, we are not free to do whatever we will with our bodies because we're in relationship with others. The things we do to ourselves affect the common good and they affect the community. And this is about virtue. And they're suggesting something crazy about abortion with with it's your will alone. Uh, If that were true with the body, there's a body inside in abortion that they kill. So it's as contradictory as all the rest, but it's not always apparent. You're 100% correct on that part. Um, Number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Boy, well, I guess the uh, the satanic church has been has been uh, the biggest the biggest bunch of anti-vaxxers at least. They, they should that should have been one thing uh, that we could give them credit for the last couple of years. But I would have to say this one is truly incredible because how do you scientifically? Well, Thomas Aquinas he does really an amazing job at at coming as close as you can, if not doing it, to scientifically prove the existence of God. But uh, this, of course, is uh, one of those things that they're setting themselves up to make sure everybody around them who has a lot more nuanced and open and and uh, and divine view on the world is has their back up against the corner. That the common person needs to come out with indisputable science to prove that they are worthy of living around uh, other people and having a seat at the table in whatever kind of a well, I don't know what they're creating a, a community. Do you have a seat at the table? Show us the science that you that you belong here. Right, and Frank, it's obvious that they mean material science here. The great thinkers up to the last century understood that there are three basic kinds of science. The highest one is theology. That's the science of God. The second highest is philosophy, the handmaid of theology, which is the science of the mind. And the lowest is material science. But worse than that, they say they show here that they expect you to be subjectivist and relativist and say your current level of scientific knowledge ought to be the ground of your belief, Mm. which is ridiculous. And that current knowledge should guide your beliefs, not the other way around. So your beliefs don't lead you into further scientific inquiry. And if they do, and you change your belief, then what you believed before was obviously not true. Oh yeah. So this is such a train wreck of of anti-intellectualism and anti-reality. Well, again, uh, John, uh, uh, Stephen, wh- where where exactly does that leave most people? I mean, we all go through earth basic earth science classes in in high school. By the time we are, you know, 
20 years old, we've forgotten almost everything. I mean, I still remember things like the rainforests are the lungs of the earth, and, and I know about the, the, the importance of CO2 and oxygen. You know, but, but for most people, the, the level of one's scientific belief is, I mean, your belief should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. So then still, at that, that, that is such a, a multipolar world you're trying to create where every level of people with either no scientific understanding of anything, no matter how basic, to those who have had their galaxy brains completely puffed up by these American universities. Uh, again, we here we are in a, in, a, in a caste system that is based completely on subjective understanding of always evolving theories. Right, right. And this is not the source of human belief. For, for the beginning of mankind till today, an educated human person grounds belief in principles of truth. There are first principles and principles, there's revealed truth, there's philosophical truth, and then there's material facts. And the material facts are the last thing in which, which an educated person grounds his beliefs. But I understand this is, has to be an effort towards scientism, just as you mentioned, the universities. So it's pushed in the secular humanist agenda that experience in scientism is the highest way of knowing but it's simply not true. It's an inversion, actually. It's kind of the lowest way of knowing. You know, the other thing that comes up for me, too, is I I understand uh, better than, I guess, most just, you know, average because I, I worked in health and fitness for so long, and I also see myself as a subject of my own, you know, tinkering with nutrition. But you, you start to get to understand the, the scientific and the reasons why uh, eggs are good for you. You understand the balancing of protein, carbohydrates, all this. You understand rest and recuperation, how the body synthesizes protein, rebuilds muscles, all that. That's good stuff to go into life with to understand weather, how, how it works, evaporation, the, the water, the, the condensation cycles. You just understand things. Gardening, you learn how, how to till the earth, how to fertilize things, how to plant, how to harvest. Those are things that, you can, that, that anybody can be scientifically grounded in. But the bigger questions and fulfillment in life have always been what you're going to do to be able to attach your heart, your spirit to something. And those bigger questions that we've been asking since we've had the ability to ask questions out loud. And for anybody to be limited to what we can only confirm about the germination process of a sunflower seed is just so empty in existence, if you ask me. So shallow. You're, you're, you're spot on. We don't ask... How am I gonna raise my family? How am I gonna be with my wife? How am I gonna protect my children? How am I gonna do my vocation? We don't ask science for that. Unfortunately, some, some vocations do. And if they do, they are crumbling from the inside out. So that's a great observation, Frank. Mm. Excellent. Well, I'm, you know, yeah, go ahead. You mentioned earlier that the, the Satanic Temple, uh, that they should have been anti-vax. I don't know their position on, I would assume they'd be super pro-vax, because they're the culture of death, but I don't know that. Do you know that? I don't know. I, you know, that's the other thing. There's, it, it, I guess, it's all subjective. You can probably make, you can probably make an argument either way and have it make sense, and uh, and everybody would be right, Stephen. That's the scary part. That's right. Everybody's right. <laughs> okay. Well, and okay. I can almost guarantee you, what they mean by science is scientism, not the authentic scientific method founded by uh, Sir Francis Bacon. Mm. I, I would bet money on that. 
Okay, so then so then let's go to number six and then yeah. seven. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. I, what on earth does that mean? I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, I, I thought if you're if if your worldview conforms to your best understanding of the world, especially scientifically, then that is that's just it. Uh, but then when you find out that you were wrong and you made a mistake, what kind of mistake? I, I don't understand. You know, pay your debts is is that your, this is so it, it feels like this is something that third or fourth graders came together and said, let's make a whole bunch of rules, our own uh, seven commandments. And um, and let's try to sound as smart as we can. And yeah. it's it's not working. No, this one sounds really dumb, actually. It, it, it It's idiotic. It, it's at best. You're right. Third, fourth grade playground talk. But, you know, the one before they said, well, if you if you harm somebody, you lose all your freedom anyway. Or you're you <laughs> you forgo your own freedom. It's just ridiculous. I don't even know what that means. Um, but I don't see any way that it's some kind of proverb proverb or some kind of tidbit of wisdom or it's not even reasonable. It's true that we make mistakes. It's true that we ought to resolve any harm we cause and make reparations. That's true. But I don't see in the in the midst of all these other ones why that would be the case. It's true. I mean, you said number four over here, the last line in number four, to willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Well, then you don't need number six. We already know how yeah. we already know how this if you are yeah. if you make a mistake, we already know how this resolves You're itself. Out. You're gone. <laughs> You're done. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Okay, last one. Every tenant is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. A, so then why did you write all these down? Yeah. N number two. The written and spoken word. Where's the nobility, Stephen? Where's the nobility in, in, in holding yourself to principles that are always shifting? Yeah. And they're not really principles. These are these are truly idiotic, and they they have the audacity to call it wisdom. That's it's it. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and but here's the really interesting thing: to prevail over the written and the spoken word is probably code for anti-God and anti-great literature. It's a way of cutting yourself off from the past. Our connection to the great teachers of the past is the written word. Um, our connection to the founding of this country is the Constitution. That's a written word. God spoke all of creation into existence. That's the spoken word. I don't even understand the reference if it's not to God. I mean, what about their spoken words? What about their written words? This is written down. It is tr truly so contradictory. And the thing that scares me is that I know the public schools have prepared our country to read this and think it's okay. Hmm. And it's such a train wreck that I don't have the words to explain it here. I spent a lot of time dwelling on this, and I actually made an hour-long talk explaining these things. If anyone's interested later, we could uh, connect to it. Oh, well, I would love to. I, I really would love to. And I, and I, I don't have any of your um, – i, I got to get your links out there. I have to put it into the, the, the show notes so people are able to, to get that. And if you have any talks that are ever on, if you do anything that is streamed or anything that's recorded, let me know, and we can put it into the After Hours programming on the show sometime. That would be great. Either on weekends or after the show airs at 9 o'clock, we can just – continue the uh the, the material that would be wonderful to have you on great i would love to do that thank um, you 
Yeah, no doubt. I that would be that'd be fantastic. I, I guess the last thing I would say about all this stuff is when you were when you were discussing how this is just trickling down to the the um, the school level and everything else. It makes you when I think about this, it makes you think, or it makes everything that you love to do, everything that you like to do, every you everything you enjoy experiencing, uh, whether it be vice or virtue, whatever the hell it is. That becomes your religion. And I guess the people, especially children, who are told, hey, listen, as long as you're good to everybody around you, then if it feels good, do it, and uh, and, and don't worry about anything else. You think that you're serving yourself, but you're really not. And I talk about this a lot. Uh, through the, the whole liberation idea, it's mostly liberation from tradition and things that are binding that tether us to uh, a history that has uh, allowed us to do great things. But what we're doing, really doing through liberation is being initiated into something else, unknowing, unknowing. And um, it, it shows itself in so many ways, so many ways, and it, and it really makes me fearful for what's coming, especially for a lot of the parents who are not wise enough to what's happening, and they actually think that it's all great. They're they're offering their children up to a, a, a horrible machine. That's right. That's right. And you said the word good, and they substitute nice for good, and they say, do your own will, but harm no one. That's a quote from Satan, actually. Just do what you will. Just harm nobody. Uh, that's because when you do that, you don't get friction, I suppose. But it is so much worse than people know. And I think many parents are unwitting about what's going on here because like us, we've all gone through the public schools and we've all been conditioned to not understand that key word you said, freedom, or you said liberation. They mean to make an equivocation of freedom because in the satanic world, freedom is freedom from what's good, true, and beautiful. And in the authentic education world, freedom is freedom for virtue, for the edification of the soul, and for and for good things for the true the good and the beautiful so it's a freedom for not a freedom from well i guess this would be a great way then to go to a beautiful edification of the soul um we always will be able to come back and take the temperature of how how you know crummy things are in some parts of the country and uh, and put some good sanitizing light on it like we just did but christmas is coming and I wanted to, the first thing I, I did to reach out to you, Stephen, I said, you know, we haven't spoken in a while. I have some a time open and I'd love to do some Christmassy kind of stuff. Do you have any stories? Because you're a storyteller. Last time you were on, I think we were talking about Brothers Grimm and fairy tales and all this great stuff, which we have to do more storytelling nights. But um, I, I said, do you have any Christmas stories? He goes, I, you said, I don't, we don't have any, I don't have any Christmas stories off the top of my head, but did you know about the Jesse tree? I said, no, but don't tell me anything because I want to learn about it on air. So what is the, the tradition of the Jesse tree? I want to know about this. Yeah, there's a really, really wonderful tradition in the Christian tradition called the Jesse tree. And it comes out of the Middle Ages. And it's a wonderful way to incorporate stories with your children and what we call the Advent season, which starts four Sundays before the birth of Christ. And we have, we have four weeks of Advent. Advent means the coming of Christ. And anticipating that, this tradition started with um, a thing called the Jesse tree because Jesus Christ comes from the line of Jesse. And in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the great prophet, he said, out of the stump of Jesse will come our savior. And Jesse was King David's father. 
And King David is in the line of Jesus if you go back all those generations. So the Jesse tradition is like this. You set up a little tree, but the main thing about this Christmas tree is that you have a series of 25 ornaments that you can make at home. And each ornament has a different symbol. So you start on day one with the story of creation and it goes through all these amazing Old Testament Bible stories up through the New Testament until you get to, on the 25th day, the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's such a wonderful tradition. And we're already eight days into the season. So what I thought I'd do is, when I, when I stop for questions in a moment, is I thought I would share the first eight stories, not tell you the stories because we don't have time for that, but just tell you what they are so that if anybody wants to do this, they can email me and I'll send them a, um, a Word document that has all 25 stories and ornament symbols. You can look at this and share this with your children, catch up and do this every day till Christmas Eve. I'm glad you brought that up because that was, my, that was going to be pretty much my only question up till now. Are these set number of perfectly chronological stories or is this something up to the, you know, everybody, every household to pick what stories they want? I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's, it's a, a set thing because I would not be very good at picking out pa- passages very much, but I would love to, to get into something like this. Yeah. No, they're all, they're kind of set stories. Um, I think it would be no problem if, if families saw this as a hub from which to go out and delve into other stories because choosing only 24 of the Bible stories, they're all incredible. Uh, you can see how they had to exclude thousands. So uh, we could, do you want me just to start by telling you what they start with? I would love to hear everything that we've missed so far in, the, in okay. these first eight days for sure, yeah. Okay, for day one, um, as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, Isaiah 11 says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And this is where you just connect the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh, something I didn't say. The birth of Jesus Christ is the central event, not just in all of salvation history, but in all of history in the universe. That is the central event. So going back to the precursor to the prophecy, we start with the uh, the book of Isaiah, just to say we have the Jesse tree because of this. On day two, we go to the book of Genesis and we read the story about how God created the universe up until the point where he created Adam and Eve. And it's a beautiful story in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. So after that, day three, a most profound and important story is we tell the story of the fall. When, when the snake came into the garden, tempted Adam and Eve, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree God forbade them to eat from. They didn't need it. Satan tricked them very much by giving them a list of uh, seven tenets of the satanic temple. It worked on them. They ate the apple, and we had that privation of and man from then on was fallen. That's a very important story for all of us to know about ourselves. On day four, we're going to fast forward tons to Noah's Ark, that that, uh, the world had become corrupt, God went to Noah and said, the world's become corrupt, build an ark, put two of every animal on it, get your family on there. I'm going to flood the world and kill everybody. And after that is a sign of reconciliation and peace. You know that, that they made the rainbow. For day five, we find God calling Abraham, which is the symbol of the chosen people, to the promised land. He says, I want you to pack up your family and move. And that's a a wonderful story about faith and trust. 
After that, on day six, sorry, a little stuck here. On day six, we learn of God's promises to Abraham. This is where he promises Abraham that if you are faithful, I will make your people number more than the stars. And that's a beautiful story that, that, that we see today that God fulfilled that promise. And just to note, Abraham was so faithful, he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And of course, God didn't let that happen. He substituted the ram. On day seven, one of the most amazing stories in all the Bible, we have Joseph, king of dreams. His brothers sell him into slavery. He's the favorite son. They sell him into slavery. And through a series of events, he becomes one of the second in command in Egypt. And when his family from Judea needs him, he's there from one of the most beautiful stories ever. So day seven is Joseph, king of dreams. Day eight, which is, which today. is today, we're supposed to read about Moses on Mount Tabor, where God hands to him the Ten Commandments, the true ground of the moral law. So if you made it up through that that part, then you can pick up the tradition from here. I'll, I'll send the uh, Word document to Frank, and you can get it from Frank or from me, and I always make my email available. Last time I was on, a lot of people wrote me great emails, good questions about education, so I appreciate that. Oh, well, I, I would love you to let me know what the email is, I'll, and I'll put it into the, 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 the show description and all that. I just sure. th that's just so uh, that's incredible because of course we've I've done advent calendars my my whole life it was a lot of fun for us you know you start on December first uh, me and my brother have to either alternate between who gets the chocolate that day but it wasn't like this and and to think that it just goes so far away you know the you know, Old Testament where we start in Genesis to be able to get to the, it's usually the celebration of Christmas is so more hyper uh, localized on just the event so it's an incredible thing i never heard of this before to have a uh, an advent tradition where you're where you're traveling to the entire genesis of the story from the beginning from the creation to this this uh this incarnation point and that's um that's incredible i never heard of it until to now steven uh, until now steven I, I really appreciate you sharing yeah i'm really happy to it's a beautiful tradition well um, I want to have you back again soon, maybe right after the, the new year. We start we'll start off with some more storytelling and analyzing what's going on in the world of education and faith and science and all that stuff. And um, and I, if there's anything you want to plug before we leave, because I have to do a little bit of super chats and, and stuff with the, the audience, um, please let everybody know where to find you and, and how to get in touch. Sure, and Frank, thank you for having me on. It's, it's always a pleasure to see you. I would like to plug one thing I'm doing. My entire career, I've been teaching 33 years, and I am so invested in recovering an authentic education and helping families do that. So what I'm doing now is I'm trying to articulate for homeschooling families and parents that want to educate their children, I'm trying to systematize a way to articulate what an authentic education is and to demonstrate that it is mutually exclusive from what's going on in the public schools. When you got that phone call from Randy, I thought he was, I mean, I would love to talk to Randy. If Randy wants to get my email and ask how to prepare his children to deal with the hellscape that's coming, I think an authentic education is your best bet. And I have a free weekly newsletter where I'm trying to articulate, trying to disentangle the lies from the truths. And I'm in about, I've been doing this for about 20 weeks now 
So if you want to jump in and start getting that email, just sign up on my website that I'll send to Frank. And that's what I'd love to do. Well, you know what? You actually just you actually just triggered something else for me right now, and that is whenever Randy gets in touch with me and I start up that that um, that thread, maybe we do another half hour segment that night and you come on to talk about your specific prescription for that because obviously there's going to be a lot of great input from the audience how people think about this how they actualize this and and how they apply it and what their their thoughts of the future are but it would be great to have you back that night even for a uh, a brief segment just to outline what a good natural authentic education uh could be and uh and, and maybe to allay some of those fears for the future that anybody with children has at this moment I'd be honored, Frank. I'd be honored. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, uh, Stephen, Jonathan, thank you so much for the time. I'll, I will uh, just text me over all of your your emails and your URLs. I'll get them into the episode description. Subito. So that's what we'll do. Thanks for everything, my friend, and Merry Christmas. Right. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Take care. There you go. Yeah. Stephen, Jonathan, what a wonderful night. What a wonderful night. What a wonderful night. Oh, and I just got this from, from Abe. It's 8.50 right now. We're getting off in about in about uh, 10 minutes, less than that. I'm just going to read what we have here, and then we're on our way. Abe said, I will play I Knew It Was You tonight after the show. Okay? He says, if you want, uh, he said, okay, I'm going to play roughly 40 minutes, a three-part brief recap and summary of each of the three Godfather movies to be followed by I Knew It Was You, Rediscovering John Cazale, the F- the H- the FBI documentary, the HBO documentary on QuiteFrankly.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that the name Fredo Corleone is a very, very... Um, it's it's a it's a name that is easily thrown around and with good reason to be able to put somebody into a specific character but if it is really worthy of you know a, a man who died so young from illness just to see a, a person who can really get lost in their craft and become so incredibly vulnerable and the the level of talent it took to be fredo corleone um i, I really any chance I get to tip my my cap to John Cazal, um, I do. Especially since I saw this documentary. So go to uh, quitefrankly.tv. Right after this show ends, there is a three-part summary of all the Godfather movies, and then right into I knew it was you rediscovering John Cazal. All right. So thank you to all my super chatters. Thank you again to. Let me see if anybody is on. Yes, Jesse. 1138 in Witchy Poo, my last cookie, so please share. Great guests, great guests all around, wonderful people on the foxhole. Thank you guys and gals for everything. It was a great night, and the the, the, the gold pills are, they really humble us. All right? So I'm hoping to see many of you switching over to quitefrankly.tv. It doesn't take much, just a click on the browser, open it on up, and there you are. And in the meantime, too, while you're on QuiteFrankly.tv, go to the Sponsor Us tab and uh, consider being even a $1 sponsor of the show right there through the website, right there on the Sponsor Us tab. You get a whole bunch of great things. You get priority emailing. You get a Sunday link to our unlisted live streams. You are now automatically entered into all of our monthly uh, sponsor giveaways. 
That's every day that we started that in, in November. Oh, and there's more. That's on top of whatever you may sign up for for specific perks. But thank you guys and gals for making this all possible. Thank you to Steve and Jonathan for coming on the show tonight. And I uh, hope to see you all in the chat room shortly after this concludes. All right. Well, that's all for me. I'll see you tomorrow. Ending the week with Sam Tripoli. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience, and now our super chatters. Starting with Albert Frederick, Straightjacket, Lord Glasscock. That's a nice, that's a nice group of people right there. Thank you guys. Thank you all. We will see you tomorrow. And also thank you to David Sundin on Rockfin. We'll see you tomorrow. It looks like uh, part two of the Twitter files have dropped as well, so we might be able to do that before Sam Tripoli comes on. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Okay, Chief, take him away. I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife.